Have you seen the uh, movie Hacksaw Ridge? Do you like war movies? War movies are tough for me to watch, but uh, that was a good one. I know I've talked about it in here before, but uh, of course it's the story of Desmond Doss, who was a Medal of Honor winner, and really, you know, they don't give those out just willy-nilly. He's the only uh, conscientious objector to have ever received that. And if you saw the movie, you understand this is pretty realistic from what I understand in terms of his actual story. Um, he went into the service, obviously reluctantly, as a, as a conscientious objector. And uh, he fought in the, well fought, he was in the Battle of Okinawa. Uh, his men, the men that w- were alongside of him, pretty much had hated on him for all of his basic training onward. They had despised him and treated him ill because, in fact, he was not picking up a, a rifle and, and fighting the enemy, and they, and they despised him for that. But when it came to the time of the battle, and men were dying, and it was a, it was a pretty gruesome battle, um, he was there all the same, pulling some of these guys that had mistreated him and even beat him up, uh, pulling them to safety. He, he rescued 75 men in that battle, and uh, heroically so. He was dragging the mountain under the cover of night and, uh, and lowering them down a, the, the sheer face of a cliff and then going back. And each time, um, if you've seen the movie, you know that he prayed, um, please, Lord, help me get one more. Please, Lord, help me get one more. And what if I told you, I bet you'd even agree with me if I said this, I think God answers prayer like that. Now, someone might hear that and say, yeah, that's not a prayer I'm going to pray. Because <laughs> if I'm that guy, I'm thinking, hey, if I pulled one guy off of that battlefield, you know, that's, that's one more than most would have done. And I'm pretty well, you know, I think that's an accomplishment. I'm done. Because how many more times do I want to put myself out there and risk myself for people that didn't even like me or people that I may not even know? We are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a commission. We have good news. We call it the good news, which implies news is something you would want to share. Our problem, I think, today is that the text today gives us a solution for a problem that we don't feel. Namely, how shall we effectively share the gospel? How do we get one more? Well, if you don't want to get one more, if you don't want to put yourself out there, why would you pray that prayer? Are you with me? You're tracking where I'm going? Like, this is a dangerous prayer to pray. Pray, prayer to pray. Yeah, that was right. Came out sounding wrong in my head. Um, It's dangerous. I I find it hard myself to to be in that place where I want to pray what, what they were praying. But if we want to see the lost be one to Christ, then then this is how it's going to have to happen. Here's the big idea today. To effectively proclaim the word of God, we need to pray. Let me give you a backdrop here real quick. Go back just a little ways to to kind of bring us up to the present. We had that great healing that took place at the temple, at the gate called Beautiful. You had the lame man, lame from birth. We later find out he was lame for over 40 years. Peter and John come up. They, They heal him in the name of Jesus they preach the gospel, and then you, you might say everything breaks loose and you've got, you've got the chief priests and the rulers and they descend upon them and they put them in the, the center of everything. You know that old expression, it's not that old. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. 
they, they got the Spanish Inquisition. They were put in the hot seat. And last time we saw that the, that the leaders, they get so frustrated and they vainly forbid them to preach the gospel and they even threaten them. The text doesn't tell what they threatened them with. I wonder if they threatened them with the 40 lashes minus one. That was kind of a typical punishment. Paul received that at the hands of the Jews five times. So maybe that's what they, we, we don't honestly know exactly what they, but they threatened them. And after all these threats, they released them, and that's where we're picking up today. Um, most of this text is, that we're going to be looking at is a prayer. Now maybe we would get mad and maybe we would pray this prayer more readily if we were facing an actual group of flesh and blood men telling us that we are not allowed to preach the gospel of Christ. Don't you think as, just because we're rebellious, we would just be like, oh no, they're not gonna tell me to do that. Don't you think the church would be like crazy? We'd be out there like just ringing every doorbell and be preaching on this. We'd, if people were literally telling us, no, don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus, we'd be doing it. But our enemy is not like that. The enemy in America today that we're faced with is mostly a complacency. It's the enemy of a complacency that comes from things like affluence and just sheer, the sheer busyness of life. How many feel like you're too busy for anything in your schedule right now to be added? Are you with me on that? We're like Odysseus's men. You remember him, uh, old Odysseus and his guys coming back from Troy and they stop off accidentally on the Isle of the Lotus Eaters which basically they just smoked dope is what I think it came down to. Because uh, the, the description is, is that they eat this flower, this lotus flower, and then they forget all their troubles and they forget why they're on a journey and they don't want to get there any longer. They're just like stupefied. You know, that's kind of where we are. That's the enemy, it, it, it seems to me, that's forbidding us from preaching the name of Jesus. But we're just kind of like, you know, we'd, we're, we're, not, we're not even getting it. So here, if you want to know what we have to do, you know, we have to be in prayer. And the first part of this is we need to pray together. We need to pray together. It is not just something for, like, I'm preaching to you, you're receiving it as an individual, but you got to kind of think of it in a collective sense. It says, when they, that's obviously plural, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, when they heard it, they lifted up their voice together to God. I want you to see two things really quickly. They leaned on each other and they leaned on the Lord. They go to their friends. I like that. I, literally in the text, it doesn't say anything about friends. I hate to tell you that. Um, sometimes when translations get done, um, there's just not a sufficient number of words for English, so they kind of have to paraphrase. It says they went to their own. Literally, it says they went to their own. But, I mean, friends is probably a pretty good translation. The emphasis is, though, that they go to the fellowship. Like, that, that's the first place they need to be, is they want the company of their fellow believers in Christ. They report what happened. They relay the threats. What were the threats? Again, I don't know what the threats were. I mean, if you keep preaching in the name of Jesus, then blank, then we will stone you to death. Then we will take your kids away. We will give you the 40 lashes minus one. We'll throw you into a deep, dark dungeon. We'll take your property. We'll get you fired. We'll, we'll, we'll get you kicked off of Facebook. We'll, 
will call you a bigot, will say that you're intolerant, will ostracize you from, from all social media and you'll be a pariah. I don't know what they threatened them with, but the, but the, the thing is, they felt threatened. They, we read these stories and because they happened so long ago, it's, it's as if they're fables that were made up. And we think these people were somehow superhuman. This story, you know, th- these are people who actually were flesh and blood like you and me, and they felt threatened. Have you ever felt that way in your life, ever? Have you ever felt threatened, like you might die, or you might get really seriously hurt by, by what people are, are, are prepared to do to you? I think back, and, and I'm not the first person to make this connection, but I think back to the story of Hezekiah. You remember good King Hezekiah? back in the Old Testament. And the Assyrians, the Assyrians were, they were really, they were scary. They were one of the most scary ancient people in terms of what they were willing to do to you. It got ugly, really, really. They were like the Comanche. They were, they were, yeah, scary dudes. And and they came against Jerusalem and they surrounded Jerusalem. Um, King Sennacherib's uh, uh, army, and uh, they had this one dude, they don't tell his name, they just tell his title, he was called the Rapshakah. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but I like it. Sounds like a Klingon name. Now the Rapshakah, and he threatened them, and he told them what they were gonna do to him, and the people are like blanching at, at, at what he's saying, and, and they take a letter to King Hezekiah. The, these stories in, in the Bible are true history, the people that were experiencing these things were actually capable of experiencing pain and death, like you and me. These were people who had hopes, who had dreams, who probably their hopes and dreams amounted to a kind of cushy life without too many pains and too many ills and and too much to be afraid of, just, just like you and me. And yet they're forced into the situation where it's fish or cut bait. It's who are you gonna stand with and are you prepared to take the consequences of that. When King Hezekiah got a letter of threats from Sennacherib, he he took the letter and he brought it to the house of the Lord, that is the temple, and he laid it before God. When Peter and John had been threatened by the high priests, where do they go? They go to the temple of God, that is the people of God. They go to their friends and they report the threats that have been made against them and they lift their voice to God together. You know, we pray together as a church quite frequently. In fact, right before I I came up here, we were in prayer. And I am happy that we are a praying church. And we are. It's not just on Sunday morning. You know, uh, we we always have a couple times of prayer during the course of a worship service. But we pray in, in just about any and every group that comes together here. But I do notice that a lot of our prayers are for illnesses, people that are in surgery and so forth, and those are important. I don't wanna diminish that in any way. It doesn't have to be an either or kind of deal here. I'm glad that we were praying for Robert Rugen this week and God brought him through that and for Lewis and others, but um, doesn't it seem like we stop there? Or at least that our prayers for the lost don't seem to rise to the level of our concern for just our bodily needs. The church prayed in order to be effectively sharing their faith with the world around them. And if we want to do the same, we need to pray. We need to pray together. We need to commit ourselves to that. 
I, I, this, this passage has really spoken to me, and oh, I tell you what, I feel under conviction. So if I sound today like I've really got it figured out and I'm telling you guys what to do, I just want you, want you to know I'm, I'm kind of preaching to myself a little bit here today. I like it. I like that. I like when God's speaking to me, and he is. But, man, we, we need to commit ourselves together as a, as a body, as a church, to pray that, that we could really effectively, effectively keep preaching the word. Keep telling the gospel. All right, secondly, it helps when we pray with the right understanding, which is we pray to a sovereign God. We pray to a sovereign God. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? How many of you have ever called customer service for anything, ever? You are never more hopeless when you get the first person on the phone when you call, most of the time. Oh, there's a few people that are qualified, but most of the time if you call on Amazon or whoever, you get the first tier group of people that they hired last week. And they have a flow chart, and it's got like five potential answers, and after that, they're done. And you know your answer is going to be a little trickier than that. And what do you, So what do you do? Politely, just as politely as you know how, you say, could we escalate this? Meaning, can I, can I talk to your supervisor? Maybe I'm going to need to talk to your supervisor's supervisor, but please get me to someone who knows stuff and then has the authority to act on that knowledge. you got to go up a level or two. That's what this prayer is really about when it, when it talks about God being sovereign, God is sovereign. God's the guy you got to go to. God's the guy that, got, that has the authority. The, the word that's used for sovereign here um, uh, is despot. Well, it's not despot. It's despotes. But it's the word from which we get our word desperate. In biblical terms, most of the time when this word appears, it appears where you have a master and a slave that God is actually referred to in that way. Now, why would it refer to that God that way? Because God is in control. He's the master. He is, in, he, he is over all things. And we may not feel like that is exactly something that we're comfortable with. How many feel comfortable with God being in control and being the master? Yeah, good. That's really, really good. Because he is... And, and it makes sense that they even ex, kind of explain it in that first sentence. It's like, God is sovereign because God made everything. Everything belongs to him because everything in the universe that exists, exists because of him, because he brought it into existence out of nothing. So if you're in the universe and you're part of it, which means you're everything but God, and God is in and outside of the universe. Well, it's God's. He's the one that is in control. And some people struggle against that. But as followers of Christ, we rejoice in it. Because again, if you call and you get that first tier operator, you're, you, you give up hope. If that, if that were the kind of God that we contacted, you know, if we had to ring him up and we didn't get God right away, we got some, you know, I don't know, lower echelon being, you know, in the, in, the, in the pipeline and we had to go through, you know, multi, that'd get frustrating, wouldn't it? But God is sovereign. God is, is in control. He is the one who can actually answer our prayers. 
He's the one that can do something when Sennacherib sends the Rabshakeh to go threaten you. And, and he's the one that, that the church could go to when the ruling council threatened them. We see God's sovereignty demonstrated here in two ways. In prophecy, fulfilled prophecy, and in predestined plans. And I don't have any blanks there for you. You just have to write those in. It's still a subpoint, but a God who is sovereign must know everything. A God who is sovereign must know the end from the beginning. Look now at verses 25 to 26. This is from Psalm 2. It's kind of mentioning Psalm 2 and quoting part of Psalm 2. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and this is where he's quoting Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now David could have well been speaking of his own situation there on one level, but we know from this that it was also a prophecy, namely that David was applying it to himself, but he was also foreseeing a day when the Messiah would sit on his own throne, that descendant of David, the one that is anointed, and that he would be resisted by the nations, by the Gentiles. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like something that was fulfilled? It should. And that's explained in verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So he's the anointed one. He's the, the son of David. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles. And here's the kicker. And the peoples of Israel. They didn't foresee that. They wouldn't have expected that part. The nations, sure, but the people of Israel as well. Jesus, the servant of God, is like David, who was the servant of God. David faced the enemies. The Gentiles raged against him. The kings of the earth raged against David, and David prevailed. They raged in vain. Jesus comes along as the anointed one, the Messiah, and the nations rage against him, and he prevails. They're not able to keep him in, in the grave, and God is sovereign and foretold all that. My point is, is that, that we are praying to a God who doesn't get caught by surprise. Unlike us, we're always surprised. I've been so surprised lately. Church, are you with me on that? Can you, can you figure out why I'm surprised? Been, been surprised a lot. It's, it's really getting to the point where people tell me stuff and I go, <laughs> okay, sure, why not? Um, <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I get it, I get it. But God isn't surprised by those things. God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what's going on. If you went into surgery, and uh, let's just imagine this for a moment, you're gonna go into surgery. Yeah, any surgery seems serious. If they're knocking you out and they're cutting on you, it's serious, right? right? So you're going into that, and the surgeon you have is the guy who actually invented the procedure. He's done this thousands of times. He always gets it right. How do you feel at that point? Comfy cozy? Pretty good, right? Although you're thinking sooner or later he's going to screw up. Maybe it's me. Um, but what if the guy says to you, you know what? Um, I've never done this particular surgery before, but how hard could it be? Let's give it a shot. <laughs> you're going to be like, uh, yeah, I, I'm in Great Bend, so I know I can't get the first guy, but can I at least get a guy that's done it once or twice? Yeah. 
God is a God that we can trust. He knows when you pray to God for courage, and remember, this is what the prayer is about. It is for the courage to proclaim the word. You're praying to the God who knows the end from the the beginning, and that is huge. But it doesn't end there. It's not just that God knows the future. It is that God has predestined the plan all along. See, the evil that happened to God's servant, namely Jesus, was not only prophesied, but listen to what it says. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God didn't just know what was going to happen with Jesus, but it was within God's sovereign purposes and plan for our redemption. God wasn't surprised. He was working out his sovereign purposes. Yes, now, did evil men do evil out of evil hearts against Jesus? Answer, yes, they did. But within that and over that and through that, God, who is sovereign, had ordained and purposed that for the very means of our salvation. Our God is supreme. He rules. He is master, sovereign. He knows what will happen. You don't catch God flat-footed in any way, shape, or form. And that is why we can rest assured that he hears us. For that prayer, we're so anxious to pray. Remember that? Lord, just one more. That's the prayer that we know, we know God will answer. Do we feel the importance of that? What do you think? Church? I mean, if I'm being honest, I'd say no. I don't think day in and day out I feel the, the weight of, of that the way I should feel it. Imagine if you knew the, the uh, son of Elon Musk. Does Elon, by the way, I didn't check this. Does he even have any kids? Yeah? One? Is a boy? All right. So imagine this son eventually, I don't know how old he is, goes, could go to his dad and say, Dad, I would like a Tesla Roadster, color of my choice, This thing goes from zero to 60 in 1.9 seconds. It's like the fastest car on the road. Elon Musk owned the company. But imagine if you were to talk to that kid and you'd find out he's not interested. Yeah, he just, he's like the opposite of Tom Cruise. He has no need for speed. There's just like, yeah, I'll take a Volkswagen when I can get a chance. But yeah, imagine he was just, or what if you knew somebody that was like the heir of of, of a big, you know, cruise ship magnet of some kind, some some person that owns Holland or or Norwegian or Carnival or something like that, and they could go any place in the world at a moment's notice. They could just jump on one of those ships and take off for a month and and go anywhere. But you know, they just love Great Bend so much because there's a lot of cruise ship magnates that are, that are here in Great Bend, I'm sure. But, you know, on a really wild weekend, it's like, maybe I'll go to Larned, but I really, you know, I got no really, no, no major interest out. You'd be like, ah, oh, you, you've got such advantage here. Why would, you, why would you pass that up? I think you see where I'm going with this, right? The, the church, the church has such a great message, and we have the only name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. We have the good news of the gospel, which is the only way by, by, by which men are, are redeemed from perishing eternally. And we could be praying. We could be just going to God like Elon Musk's son. We could be going to God. I mean, think how great it would be go to, to go from zero to 60 in 1.9 seconds. How many would be down for that? Yeah? 
Imagine how great it would be if Grace Community Church seriously devoted itself to praying, God, give us what we need. Give us, give us the wherewithal to preach the word and keep preaching the word and see people saved. Imagine the excitement of that. That would make, yeah, make the going zero to 60 just like, yeah, I'll take a Volkswagen. All right, finally, let's state what's being implied throughout, and that is we pray for boldness. The key is we pray for boldness. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now, before we hit the boldness part really quickly, I want to show you something that's kind of tucked into this verse that I think is important to see. And that's the, the, the use of that word servant again. Did you catch that? They, call, they refer now in the prayer to themselves as servants. And hopefully, as we've been going along, you've been noticing that David was referred to, like if you go back and look at verse 25, verse 27, look ahead to verse 30, like David is the servant, and then Jesus comes, he's the servant, twice he's mentioned as a servant, and now they're servants as well. They're referred to that way. What's going on there? Well, what they're saying in the context of of Psalm chapter 2 is David, God's servant, was protected, and and, and, and and the nations raged against him, but they couldn't overcome him. They couldn't stop him. And then Jesus, the anointed, full, the fullness of that, the experience, as, as the anointed Messiah, he comes along and, and the nations rage and they, and they kill him, but they can't keep him in the grave. And they're like, and we're your servants. We identify with that. And in the same way that the nations, all of their raging couldn't stop David and couldn't stop Jesus, they can't stop your church. Isn't that cool? It's a cool thing. All right. For these servants, the big request is boldness. Boldness. My first request would have been escape. Isn't that what you pray for when you get threatened? If somebody says, man, I'm going to, I'm taking you down, buddy. I'm whatever it takes. I'm going to make sure that your life is miserable or that you you don't breathe another breath. What are you going to pray for? God, spare me. Save me from this. Or you could ask for vengeance. Is it okay to ask God for vengeance? You're going to say yes, you're going to say no. I don't know. I mean, think about this for a minute before we jump on that. Doesn't the Bible say that we should not seek vengeance ourselves, but leave it to God? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not altogether wrong to turn it over to God and, and expect God to do justly. But they don't even do that. What do they do? They skip the asking for vengeance. Here's what they say. They say, look upon their threats. Look upon their threats. They're laying it before the Lord. They're like King Hezekiah. When Hezekiah got that letter from Sennacherib, he goes to the temple and he puts it before God. And he's like, God, I don't know what to do. This this guy, this Assyrian guy, I mean, he's he's serious. This, This is one bad dude, God. Here's his threats. You take it. It's not saying, God, I want you to destroy him. You know, the early church didn't pray, oh, Lord, you know, take down Ananias, you know, uh, uh, strike him with cancer or something like that. They're like, Lord, look at their threats. They, they laid it before God like you were going to a judge saying, I don't know the law that well, and, and I don't know, I can't tell a judge what you should do, but this is what happened. And here, 
and the judge, judge of the earth should do rightly, and we trust God to deal with their threats. But the chief goal here is boldness. Grant your servants to continue to speak with all boldness. Oh, that we would have that desire. You gotta get to the desire to get to the prayer, correct? Nobody prays for what they don't want. But to have that desire, to, to have that, that, that prayer on our lips, Lord, give me boldness. Have you ever prayed to God for boldness in some situation? Oh, Lord, I've got to give that talk in front of my sophomore class. Oh, I've got butterflies. Give me boldness. Help me be, help me be strong. You've probably prayed a prayer like, oh, Lord, I'm going to ask her out. It's going to be this week, I sw- this week, finally. I'm going to get up the courage. Give me boldness. We've prayed prayers like that. But have we prayed for boldness to proclaim the gospel? That's the prayer that ought to be on our lips. Please, Lord, help me get one more. Help me get one more. I'm afraid of their threats. I've internalized so many fears. I fear what men will say. I fear I'll be laughed at. I I, I fear that I'll get tied up in my words and I'll say the wrong thing and I'll just just be red-faced with embarrassment. But please, Lord, please make me bold so that that I can, can get one more. Maybe not seeing men bleeding out on a battlefield, not hearing the bullets you know, whizzing past, not hearing their cries for help out there wounded in the darkness. Maybe, you know, maybe that's part of why we're not energized to pray this prayer. But what about the thoughts of an eternity without God in darkness and gloom and torment? Shouldn't that motivate us? Shouldn't we have that same heart? Lord, please, one more. Give me one more. And then we read, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued, they get the answer, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. As we get to the end of this, I want you to notice something that I think just really um, should give us all reason for boldness and that is, the Trinity that you see here. It comes from the, the answer to their prayer comes from the triune God. Look at verse 30. They call on God, that would be the Father, to keep doing wonders and signs through what? Through whom? The name of Jesus. And what is the response? God fills them with the Holy Spirit and they preach with boldness. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit answer the prayer and gladly, gladly give them power. What do you think? Could we ask for boldness? Could we ask the triune God for the same kind of boldness today? Will God still hear a prayer like that? Will God still work? Does God still do do miracles? Yes, he does. Now, Again, we're not apostles. We're not saying that we're going to go, you know, raise somebody that's been lame for 40 years. But God still answers prayer. God is still at work. God still has given us the same gospel. Nothing has changed. People are still going into an eternity without Christ. We need boldness, church. We need boldness. We have not, the Bible says, because what? We ask not. 
We have not because we ask not. It'd be like a, fa- a father who's, who's a farmer. Maybe some of you could identify with this. And he has one son who he'd love to pass the farm on to. But his son really desires to be a mime. His heart is set on mime. He subscribes to Mime Monthly. When the father's out there on the tractor in the hot, you know, son of Kansas, plowing away or tilling or no tilling, I don't know what he's doing. He's out there doing something farmers do. When he looks over, he sees his son, you know, standing off by the driveway, practicing his mime. He's like, oh, man, that kid. Don't know what I'm going to do with him. And he's just convinced that, that that's the farm. Is just gonna, he's going to have to sell it. It's, just, it's all going to come to an end. But then, but then one day his son comes to him and he's like, he actually has to use words. Father, um, the mime thing, it's just not working out. It's not working out. But you know what? I watch you and I see your satisfaction in what you do. And I just want, I want to work with you. I want to watch you. I want to learn everything you've been trying to teach me. I'm open-minded to that. I want to be a farmer and, and farm this ground and then pass it on to my son who passes it on to his son and so forth. What's the dad going to say? I've just been waiting for you to ask me that. I'll give it to you gladly, of course, with all my heart. Pray for boldness. I challenge you to pray for boldness. Pray for our church. Let's do this. Let's not think of it as a Lone Ranger kind of thing. Let's pray for us collectively that this church might be bold with the gospel. Let's not even keep it just in-house here. How about pray for this church, because that's where you're connected, and that's who you're with and who you're covenanted with. But while we're praying for ourselves for this boldness, let's pray this. All the churches of this area that preach the gospel, that, that believe in the scripture, let's pray that they have the same boldness. Because people are, are lost, and they need Christ, and that is our message. And, and how would you end a message like this without boldly proclaiming the gospel? If, if you're here today and you hear this, and I just say to you, you know, not particularly bold. It doesn't take that much boldness for what I do to be up here saying these things. But as boldly as I know how, I, I, I just tell you that the scripture says that, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Apart from him, you are a sinner and you are destined for hell, for outer darkness, for weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, the scripture says. Apart from him, you are lost and dead in your trespasses and sin. But God sent Jesus into this world. The nations raged. Every, they threw everything at him. He was put to death. He died on a cross. They buried him. He rose on the third day. That by his name, by faith in that name, by faith in, in him, we might be saved. Turn, turn from the way you're going. Turn from your unbelief. Turn from your rebellion against God. Trust in Jesus, and he will save you, and he will save you. Be bold toward God in that way. Let's pray. Father, I I truly am um, convicted by, by your word. Even after many years of ministry, Lord, it, it is still hard to meaningfully and repeatedly and, and, and with all fervor to come to you and ask you for this because that puts us out there, Lord. That puts us in the crosshairs. 
But Lord, it, it, is the, it is the gospel and the only gospel by which men can be saved. And how will they be saved, Lord, if they do not hear? How will they hear if someone doesn't speak, Lord? We need to speak, we need to go, and we need to proclaim in whatever form, in whatever way, Lord, we don't limit you. We're not all called to be a door-to-door evangelist or a street preacher or, or an evangelist or a pastor, but Lord, we are all meant to bear the gospel And we know that we're to do that collectively as a church. So, Lord, renew our efforts. Renew our desire. And, Lord, pour out your spirit that that we might proclaim the good news of your word in the name of Jesus to all who will hear. Give us boldness. We, We ask, Lord, give us one more. Let us, Lord, get one more. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen.